what I tell parents, and this is where the work in progress comes into play, okay? You can feel like you're spinning your wheels trying to get a picky eater to open up their palate or try a different food that they didn't like or whatnot. You can feel like you've been doing it for months and months. And over those last months, they now will eat two more foods. Mm-hmm. That's still something. Right. Don't give up. Welcome to the Well Child Podcast, brought to you by two board-certified pediatricians, Dr. Anna Powell and Dr. Sammy Hodges, also known as the Petey Pals, as we talk to you about topics involving raising well and happy children in today's challenging society. Please follow us on social media at the Petey Pals or find us online at www.thepdpals.com. Hi, Anna. Hi, Sammy. Nice to see you again. <laughs> can you believe this is our third episode already? I really can't. And I am very excited about our topic today because this is a good one. This is a popular topic, yes. something that you and I hear on the daily. Most pediatricians talk about this at least meh, three times a day, easily. <laughs> at the minimum, I think. And then even I remember when we posted on our social media accounts about um, this topic, we got so many questions. I feel like it was yeah. a, a big, it was a popular one. So we figured, why not do a whole episode, right? Exactly. Yes. So today's topic, without further delay, is about picky eating. Uh, we're going to talk to you, our beloved audience, about all things um, that we can, you know, tell you in a short podcast about picky eating, specifically in toddlers, because it kind of does start around that age. Uh, and we will definitely extend it to you know, older ages as well, but we're going to talk to you about all of the things that we wish we could tell you in the checkups and the things that we've learned over the years and all of our experience so far about picky eating. Yes. Everything you can need to know or want to know about picky eating. Yes. So if you have a picky eater, this podcast is for you. That's right. So, so since this is such a, I think, I, I get this, like we, like you mentioned, we get this question asked so many times and we know, and you have two little ones as well. So I'm sure you've noticed that all kids are different, even, you know, your two kids. And I hear parents say this a lot that, you know, I experienced this with this one, but not with this one. You know, you, you hear that a lot. So what are some of the most common questions that you get asked in your practice, particularly um, about picky eating? Uh, I think it's the trend that parents will typically have a baby, a baby drinks milk, and they may or may not have had an easy or difficult time with the milk phase. And then they start solids. And for the most part, solids go well at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then somewhere after 18 months, uh, parents start to notice that their children become quote unquote picky. But I want to go back on that later because it's actually not real pickiness. And then they start asking, oh, he's not eating as much as he used to. Uh, He doesn't like his vegetables. (laughs) What do I do? (laughs) Exactly. Um, And no, I typically get these, the the same question because 
a lot of times I think parents see that rapid growth phase, you know, in the first year of life, you know, babies are tripling their weight, you know, quadrupling their weight, you know, in some babies. And then you go through this phase where all of a sudden they're not gaining weight like they did, you know? So I think it's a natural question that a lot of parents come across that, you know, oh my goodness, they didn't gain as much weight as last time, you know? So I I see that panic kind of start around that age one, one and a half time, you know? Absolutely. You're absolutely right. So part of it is that, you know, their, their growth chart, you know, by nature slows down and they're not supposed to really gain weight as fast, especially after they're two years old, right? About five pounds a year is kind of a good gauge. So, you know, they get a little bit alarmed about that, but in general, because they were growing so fast before they, they were better eaters. And then suddenly you've got a toddler on your hands and your toddler could care less about that kind of stuff. Your toddler wants to discover and open everything and make a mess of everything and throw tantrums and the world is your toddler's oyster. So why should he eat broccoli? (laughs) it's so true it's so true and now they have you know little personalities and you know they're trying different textures and flavors and they're deciding what they like and what they don't like and now the control switches over to their you know to them and I think a lot of parents have a hard time um you know figuring out how do we how do we manage this now (laughs) you know they have a say Yes. So I have a question for you. So because I think this does go back a little bit to solid introduction first. Um, We've written an article about this, actually. But just to recap, uh, we tend to for most babies. Now, remember, it's not one size fits all. But for most babies, we tend to recommend solid introduction around four months of age. How do you tell parents? What is your general like? How do you start solids for a baby? Yeah, typically I tell them that, you know, the main things we're looking for between four to six months, we start introduction and every baby is different, you know, um, different uh, babies develop head control and, um, you know, um, the desire to want to try to eat uh, solid foods. But typically I tell them to start with one food, you know, um, uh, mash pureed um, and start with one food at a time because we want to do single foods. Uh, veggies, fruits, typically um, to start with, to because we want to make sure you know if they have an allergy to something, we recognize that early on. Um, but really, I tell them to have fun with it. You know, their main form of nutrition that first year is going to be the milk, and um, re- this is the phase where you're introducing them to textures and flavors and colors. And I think a lot of the studies show that if you start early introduction, um, those kids do better in the future in terms of um, their resistance to foods and trying new foods. So um, even, you know, we did an article about uh, the allergies. That's the one you're referring to, right? Um, And and typically now they state that if we start high um, allergic foods like peanuts in the first 10 to 11 months of life, um, there's less likelihood of developing a peanut allergy. So I I just tell them to not stress about it too much, you know, try one food at a time, um, have fun with it. Uh, It's not a pressure point at this point. We're kind of getting them ready for after one year of life when they're not drinking milk as frequently, you know, we're reducing the milk consumption and we're relying more on food after one year of life. So this is their chance to experiment and have fun and, you know, um, let them enjoy it. Totally agree. So that's pretty much very identical to what I say. I usually talk about the LEAP study, which is, you know, the most popular study that has shown 
Mm-hmm. Why early introduction of solids is beneficial, um, something that we've just learned, but I don't want to divert too far off into that. But yeah, starting solids on a non kind of pressure type of way is definitely recommended. Mm-hmm. And so now you have this child and you've introduced solids properly and then they've turned one and then they were eating well, and suddenly we get that question of how come suddenly he doesn't like vegetables anymore, he's a carb lover, or he loves his chicken nuggets, or his mac and cheese, right. what do I do? Right. So how, how, do you, how do you answer that question? Like, you know, they, they hate broccoli, they hate vegetables. Um, that's, that's a common question. Yeah. What do you so do? How do what you I do... I mean, for the first thing is you, you know, you can't assume everyone's in the same position. So I'll say, walk me through yeah. your, what the day is like. What do you start the day with? How many ounces of milk? You know, what is breakfast, lunch, and dinner? How many snacks? Yada, yada. So I get a good gauge. Then I review growth charts with them. Then we'll touch on growth charts a little bit later again. But you, what's funny is 99% out of the time, even though they're labeled as picky eaters, they're growing really well, if sometimes maybe exceedingly well. Right. So um, that's, then I'll review it and I'll say, well, guess what? Uh, you know, little Jimmy, for example, is actually getting enough calories in a 24 hour period. He's just not eating what you want him to eat. So one thing about, you know, before kind of moving on to what recommendations we have, I just want everyone to know that in general, getting your children to eat the way you want them to, or getting your children to have a great relationship with food and be adventurous with food and not turn their nose at everything. It's a work in progress. It will not happen in a day. It is a continuous work in progress. I have a 10 and seven year old and I'm still working on it. And for the most part, they're not considered picky, but I still am constantly educating. So it has to be, you just have to know, I mean, think about it. Think about all the adults, you know, even the adults that you know, don't, necessarily all have the best relationship with food. This is complex. It's like sleep, you know, it requires dedication. And this is one of the parts of parenting that you really have to be ready to be at it for a while. Um, That's so true. Really aren't picky, but for the most part, a lot of them do try to stay away from their vegetables and whatnot. Yeah. And I think more than that's such a great point that you bring up about this being a a process and a journey because it really is, it is. you know, still, like you said, until adulthood and beyond, you know, mm-hmm. we are nutrition is such a big concept and we can't cover it all, you know, in this episode, but I kind of, you know, think that this topic is so important from the beginning because this is how we establish our relationship to food, you know, and I feel so often parents are so committed, like, for example, to education and learning our ABCs, you know, we spend so much time with our kids, teaching them the essentials about, you know, education and learning, but you know, nutrition is a big topic in itself. And I think that if we treat nutrition and food like a, you know, like education, um, then we'll continue to give it that importance. Because I think right now, it's not something we're teaching our kids. It's something that they kind of have to do on a day-to-day basis. You know, it's, you have to eat. But we're not, I, I don't know how you feel, but I feel like we're really not um, going through that process with them to teach them about food and nutrition, 
you know. Yeah, because, you know, who's got time? <laughs> you know, we're just like trying to survive parenthood half the time. So, you know, who's got the energy to sit there and educate and whatnot? But it is it is really important. And I just want wanted to bring that point up because I think a lot of times parents feel like, oh, you know, he was great and he isn't anymore or he's never been great at it. And, you know, I'm stuck. So let me give him some pediatrics so he gets nutrition, which I'm really not a big fan of. Yeah. So the number one thing, you've got a picky toddler on your hands. You've got to make sure they're not drinking their calories. Right. So they should not be having more than 16 ounces of milk a day. Um, if they're on the higher end of the growth chart, it should probably be more like 2%. Um, a lot of toddlers are chuggers, you know, they still are on the bottle, which also that's got to go. We got to get onto the sippy cups, but they're on the bottle and they just love that milk. So they'll just chug, 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 but it's super filling and you get a lot of calories that way. And plus you get really constipated that way as well. Mm -hmm. And then that also brings me to the more drinking of calories, the juice thing. Juice is also filling. It's full of sugar, devoid of nutrients. If I could make one thing in the world disappear, <laughs> I would make juice go away. I do not like juice. <laughs> Unless you're willing to sit there and squeeze the orange by yourself, I'm not a fan. Not for raising children. I think it's, you know, perpetuating this sugar addiction pandemic. Mm -hmm. Maybe I shouldn't use that word. This sugar addiction <laughs> that we've got going on, um, you know, with children. And so, it, it, again, devoid of nutrients. So I just don't recommend it at all. So it should be a little bit of milk, mostly water, so that they're actually, their stomach actually has room for food. Right. And then it comes down to toddlers don't need to eat that much in general. Their portion sizes are really, really small. So a lot of them accidentally graze all day, right? right. So they're just grazing and they're just filling up on snacks. So goldfish here, a couple of Cheerios there, a handful of grapes here, yada, yada. I don't have room for lunch or dinner. And so what am I going to do when you serve me a full plate? I'm only going to eat the stuff I love. Right, right. And, so, and I think that association with snacks becomes the, the yummy foods, the stuff I like because I've been eating. Those are the usually the processed, you know, snack items that we just grab on the go. And those become the favorite foods. And then when we sit down with the family and mealtime and then we got broccoli and then we got those other foods, at that point, they're not hungry anymore, you know, exactly. because we filled up on the snacks and now you have developed a picky eater because they're like, nope, I don't want this stuff. I'm not hungry because I've had my calories for today. You know, like right. you said, in exactly. juices. Yeah. Right. And another thing is that, you know, right now, like I just ate, right. I had a meal, I had my dinner, but um, if you were to bring a piece of chocolate and put it in front of me, I'd make room for it. You know, if you brought me a salad, I'd be like, no, thanks. I just had dinner. So that's the same with toddlers. They're like, you know what? I will make room for the stuff on the plate that I love. But I'm really not that hungry. And yeah. so it's mistaken for pickiness, but really it's just that they're not hungry. So you have to make sure that they are actually hungry when you're sitting down for mealtime together. And like we said on our uh, social media and in our articles, the general rule of thumb with toddlers and how you feed them is you decide what they eat and they decide how much. So what you put in front of them is what you want them to eat, right? right? And then they decide how much of that they're going to eat. Right. So if you had to say to like a parent, you know, I'm sure you get asked this all the time and I do too, like what is, what should the day look like? What do you say? Right. Um, 
you know, it's different for every child, as we've seen, you know, growth charts are different for every child. Um, when they choose to eat uh, is different. But generally, what I tell them is, um, like you mentioned, we pick the types of foods that we want, we make those foods available to them. So, um, you know, I usually tell them, uh, offer these particular types of foods, um, and then let them choose. Um, and they're going to say no, sometimes it takes you know, uh, as we all know, our taste buds change from the time we're toddlers to adulthood, you know, things that we back then we, you know, we hated back then, you know, we love now. So, um, you know, often toddlers have to be offered the same. I think they, the studies show that you have to offer sometimes the same thing 10 to 15 times, you know, before they end up um, even trying it or accepting it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so typically I tell them, you know, uh, uh, I think it's really important to make them a part of the decision-making process. So, um, you know, when you are cooking, uh, involve them in the process, you know, yeah. uh, they can be your little helpers, you know, toddlers can't do much, but you know, they can, they can be there, um, to watch you, um, uh, come up with recipes with, you know, your older kids and, and try some of those, um, incorporate some foods that, that they might like in, into the other foods so that they're more willing to try it, you know, um, uh, that might be a good technique to do it too. But, but in general, uh, you know, I say some kids might eat a big breakfast or a lunch. And then by the end of the day, they might not want a big dinner, you know? Um, and so I usually, uh, you know, emphasize on avoiding, um, you know, the battle or the fight (laughs) or the bribing, you know, a lot of times uh, I feel like, uh, we tend to bribe our kids, you know, if you eat this, we'll give you this as a prize, you know? And so what that does is, that the nutritious, the healthy foods that we're trying to get them to eat become more of a chore, become more of the punishment, you know, yeah, exactly. um, in, in, you know, to have the more, uh, you know, the sugary snacks or, or the things that we don't want them to eat. So that food association develops. And, and even though it's tempting, you know, sometimes it makes things a lot easier. Um, it's not, I think, the best in the long run. Yeah, totally agree. So yeah, kind of what I'll tell families is, you know, for a toddler anyway, they wake up, don't give them milk, give them breakfast. Right. <laughs> and then if you want to give them four to five ounces of milk after breakfast and a small snack, that's fine. But they have to wake up, they need right. to be hungry so that they can actually eat the breakfast on the table. And you make them the plate you want to make that and make it different every time. Don't get in the habit of eggs every day because I know he likes his eggs, but I know he doesn't like toast. So I'm not even going to bother with toast. So just vary it up, you know, expose them to everything, Uh, which by the way, I'd like to rewind just a tiny bit and say, this actually does start in pregnancy. If you could start this attitude in pregnancy, given your, your circumstances, if you're able to eat a wide variety of food when you're pregnant, this helps. Uh, the baby's eating what you're eating. So if you're eating a wide variety of food, they will remember that palate. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so you start with breakfast, small snack with milk after, and then you stop. You need to have like two to three hours of no eating so they actually get hungry. Then they sit down for lunch. Again, what you want them to eat, they decide how much. Don't panic if they didn't eat. Let's just say it's a toddler. They eat sometimes and they don't other times. If there's an emergency with with how little they're eating, your pediatrician will let you know after they've looked at the growth chart. But if your pediatrician has said they're growing well, don't panic if they've missed a meal or two. 
Because a lot of times what parents will inevitably do, they'll be like, ooh, I'm going to go make a grilled cheese because I know he loves that. And then you just, you know, made things worse because you're just feeding into it. So they didn't eat a great lunch. No problem. You can give them a small snack again. Don't let them get full on the snack afterwards. And then again, you wait a couple hours for them to actually be hungry for dinner. And then you serve them what you like for dinner. Well-balanced fruits, vegetables, meats, carbs, the whole thing. And then you go to bed. And if, if you want before bed, another few ounces of milk, I'm fine with that. And during the day, the rest of the time, water. Exactly. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that um, I think that's the biggest pitfall is we panic. You know, yeah. um, we kind of impose our eating habits uh, on the kids, and their metabolic rate is different. Their requirement is different. A lot of times, I tell parents, you know, you'll notice little Jimmy will, um, you know, one day eat, you know, just graze and eat little bits here or there, and then the other day he'll eat all day long. You know, oh, when they're that Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy. And so, you know, it's natural for them to, you know, eat growing, you know, when they're having a growth spurt. So um, it's really important to not impose our fears. I think we have a tendency to do that because we don't want to be, um, you know, uh, we feel guilty a lot of times, you know, food is so associated, I think, in most cultures with love. And, uh, you know, so I think it's a natural process that we have um, as parents and grandparents, we, we worry when they're not yeah, eating. Absolutely. It's a totally normal thing to worry about it, but try not to panic and try not to always go give them the backup meal that you know they're going to eat. Because guess what? Once they learn that that's going to happen, then they'll hold out for it every time. They'll be like, meh, not too crazy about, you know, these green beans. So I'll just wait until mom brings me my grilled cheese. Or right. My mac and cheese, you know? We know she's going to panic before I cave, right? Right. Exactly. So yes, yeah, some days they'll eat wonderfully. Some days not so much. Some meals great. Some not normal, normal, normal. As long as they're growing well, which is what you're, you know, talking about with your pediatrician every time. So if the pediatrician has reviewed the growth chart and said, little Jimmy mm -hmm. <laughs> is growing well, <laughs> then don't worry. Yeah. He's at the 90th percentile. <laughs> yeah. You're doing great. All right. No, I think this is, um, it's definitely, uh, it's, it's not an easy thing. You know, it's not an easy thing to, uh, you know, parents are busy. Like you mentioned, they're busy. We're trying to figure out quick, easy meals. Um, we're not willing to have that battle, you know, every time over meal time, and you just want them to be fed, you know. Uh, but I think the biggest takeaway is don't panic. Um, have those foods available that eat, that are nutritious and uh, avoid, the, avoid the drinking calories, you know, drinking of calories and snacks, you know, snacks. Yes. So and great. So another thing is like pouches, for example. In a way, they're a good invention. You know, it's a good way to get some fiber and some, you know, calories in there and usually tends to be pureed fruits and veggies. So it seems to be a good solution, but it's only one texture and only one experience for the child. So I've seen so many kids over the years get addicted to the pouches and they don't want to chew real food because why should they? All they right. need to do is just suck the pouch and there they go. So yeah. I have a little bit of a love-hate relationship with the pouches. I know that they're there for a reason and they are good, but mm -hmm. I would try to refrain. Same thing with the drinking the calories. It's, it is a drink of a, of a sort. I would try to be careful not to fall into that pitfall as well. 
And I think foods are also meant to be, you know, taken in different textures and flavors. And I think so often now we are drinking our food, you know, or having soft mashed foods. And, and I think they're not really getting those different textures and chewing on carrots and celery, you know, um, like we did, you know, and taking an apple and just biting off of it. We're kind of making everything more mush. And so I have that same love-hate relationship with it too, you know, where I feel yeah. like you're, but they'll, you're you know, they'll find a battery on the floor and why not give that a taste, you know? <laughs> yeah, dirt always tastes yeah. great. <laughs> great. Yeah, I, that's that's what I tell my patients all the time. I'm like, yeah, this is that phase where they'll eat dirt, but they won't eat their vegetables. It's fun times. But <laughs> another thing, Anna, I wanted to touch on is, so a lot of times families will say, okay, so I make the plate and then he'll take the broccoli and he'll throw it. Mm-hmm. Or he'll say yucky. Or maybe some of them will like lick it and then go, ew, and they'll make a face. Mm-hmm. So what do you tell them about that? Yeah, so I typically tell them that it's known that, you know, when you're looking at uh, flavors and textures, children in general tend to avoid bitter and sour things. So typically, they're not going to be drawn to those. You know, when you're a little bit older, you you know, you develop a taste for Brussels sprouts and broccoli, and you you know, you like some of those more bitter uh, flavors. As a child, you haven't really developed that, so they're drawn to more of the sweet and the salty flavors. Um, so I usually tell them that it's okay if they throw away their broccoli. It's okay, you know. We're still going to incorporate, you know, the food groups. So I tell them, um, you know, get a couple of vegetables, uh, pick one that they might that they might like, you know, and then pick one that they haven't tried. Um, also, I try to tell them pair it with one of those other flavors. So if you take like a bitter flavor like broccoli and you mix it with something that's salty like cheese, you know, you grate a little bit of cheese on top of the broccoli, they might be more open to trying it if they have, you know, a flavor that they um, uh, that they like eating, you know. Um, and so we don't want to necessarily fill their plates with all sweet and salty things, but we can use that as a way to kind of bridge the gap, you know. Mm-hmm. So if they like pickles, you know, a lot of kids will like pickles. Those are, you know, cucumbers and you can, you can incorporate that. They're salty and they have a crunch and you can uh, include that with another vegetable they don't like. So, you know, you, you provide those options, you let them choose and you try broccoli again. I usually tell them don't try it again the next day, you know, uh, in terms of foods that they keep denying, try, try it a week later and incorporate it with something, um, that they do enjoy. Um, Uh, For example, let's say they like, um, you know, pita bread and hummus or something like that. You know, you can incorporate um, uh, veggies on top uh, to kind of make little shapes or, you know, kind of make, have fun with it too. So I think if you make it fun, um, you meet them halfway, they're more likely to try it. But then again, they might reject you completely and then you just try again. You stay patient. Um, And that's a big thing, right? Like, so a couple of things. You know, I loved what you said, but one is make sure that you are setting a good example, right? Um, So that you really are all eating together and you're eating the foods you want them to eat. Um, So that's one thing. So if you're not going to eat it, you're kind of their biggest example. Another one is be careful what you look like when you're feeding your child, because a lot of the times parents don't realize what their face looks like. I think I was one of those people where I might have been like, here's a Brussels sprout, you know, and then I probably was grimacing, not because I don't like Brussels sprouts, because I do, but I was expecting them to say, ew, 
And right. so, you know, it, it, but if you're very blase and here you go, have some, no biggie, um, give it a try. I could take it or leave it, you know, uh, not particularly enthusiastic and not particularly, you know, appalled, then, uh, you know, you they, they feed off that energy. Right. Right. Another thing, too, um, what I tell parents, and this is where the work in progress comes into play, okay, you can feel like you're spinning your wheels trying to get a picky eater to open up their palate or try a different food that they didn't like or whatnot. You can feel like you've been doing it for months and months. And over those last months, they now will eat two more foods. That's still something. Don't give up, right? That's it. That's what it is. You know, like I said, I have a 10 and seven year old and, you know, sometimes I'll put something in front of them and, you know, like I hadn't put artichoke in front of them for a while and they both looked at me like I was an alien. And I was like, you guys love artichoke. You, you just don't remember it. And then, you know, but I, you know, I was very kind of just try it. It's fine. You love it. You loved it last time. You just don't remember what it's like and then show them how to eat it and try it like this and try it like that. See, I told you, you love it. It's so good for you and yada, yada. And so a lot of times with these, especially the really difficult picky eaters and think of more like autistic kids who have texture issues. We, we actually send them to something called feeding therapy. Uh, so it's usually with like a licensed speech therapist or someone who has a degree in this type of thing. And I'm really oversimplifying this. If there's a speech therapist listening to this, please don't hate me, but I'm, I'm really oversimplifying it. But basically what feeding therapy is, is baby steps. Right. So for the toddler, who always takes the broccoli and throws it on the floor, I say, great. That means they acknowledge that it's there and they just don't want to eat it that day. So that's the first step. They're willing to touch it. Oh, quick caveat. Kids have got to get dirty when they're eating. Right. That's a huge part of being a baby. They have to get messy when they're eating. So at the beginning, when they're like one, one and a half, two, let them get in there every meal. You got to probably do a bath or something, but it's a fine because they're, playing, experimenting with the textures they're touching, they're getting it all over themselves. Don't make a face. Don't get upset about it. This is good. This is harboring a non-picky eater later. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they'll throw it on the ground and I say, okay, so this is the stepwise approach. You can say, no, 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 don't throw it on the ground. Just give it to mommy. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's step one. They're willing to touch it and they're willing to give it to you. Mm -hmm. um, once you've gotten in the habit where anything they don't like, they've touched and they've given it to you, then you're like, great, can you smell it and then give it to mommy? So now they're willing to like, you know, smell it a little bit and, you know, give it some, you know, to kind of see what the smell is like. And, you know, then they do that for a while, a month or two, and then they give it to mommy. Then the next step is, okay, can you lick it and then give it to mommy? Mm -hmm. This is for the really young ones. Uh, once they've gotten in the habit that if there's a food on their plate they don't like, that the, you know, what they do is they take one lick and then if they still don't think they like it, they give it to mommy, no problem. Then it's like, okay, you could take one bite, spit it out, and then give it to mommy. Then one bite, and then swallow it, and then give the rest to mommy. Two bites, swallow it, give the rest to mommy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you just take it in really small steps. Then you just kind of constantly just nudge them in the right direction, but not in a like a stressful, forceful kind of way. Yeah. Right? To me, that takes them through the toddler years. And then when they're a little older, four to five, you know, a little bit older than that, that's where I love what you had said before, where it's like the engage them in the cooking activities. So take them to the grocery store with you. Have them pick out some vegetables, mm -hmm. cook it together. If they're older, 
10 mm-hmm. years old, whatnot, they can even look up a recipe and you guys can make it together. There's so much more likely studies have shown to actually eat something that they've helped prepare themselves. It's the same with lunches, right? You pack mm-hmm. them a lunch, it comes back home, they barely touched it, but if they pack it themselves, they're going to eat way more of it. It's just exactly. the way that human nature is. Right. So, uh, yeah. And then as they get older, you know, really start to try to educate your kids about nutrition. Why do you even want them to eat this stuff? Why are you even asking it? Why is there no ice cream in the freezer on a day-to-day basis? Why do you not carry Coke around? Mm-hmm. You know, why do you not want them to have juice? Um, tell them, tell them the truth. It has too much sugar. It's not good for you. You might feel okay with when you're having it now, but when you're older, you're going to feel sick. Um, fruits and vegetables are chock full of vitamins. They're medicine. They help you, you know, heal. They help you feel good. They help you play sports. They help your hair. They help your skin. Oh, all of that stuff. (laughs) I think just going back to the point you mentioned about, Uh, practicing what you preach is so important. You know, kids from the time, a lot of parents will come to me and and say, you know, they picked up on so much. They're only nine months old. They're only a year old. You know, they're literally watching everything because they're seeing it all for the first time. And so every little thing you do, every little facial expression, they are recording it (laughs) in their little, in their little head. And it's amazing because, you know, you see them repeating things um, that you, you're like, where did they hear that, you know? And so, so often we forget what we're doing. And I think we, you know, to start with healthy nutrition that you want for your kids, we really have to, you know, look at what we're doing on a day-to-day basis. And I think that's where it starts, you know? Um, and, and so that's totally, I think, step one is, is evaluating kind of your relationship with food and how you want that to kind of rub off on your children, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, look, look at yourself as well. Make sure that you guys are enjoying mealtime as a family. I'm really, really, really not a supporter of too much TV time when you're eating, um, no matter what age they're at for multiple reasons. But the biggest one being that studies have shown that kids are likely to eat 30% more. So it kind of contributes to obesity. Mm-hmm. Um, But in general, it's like you're doing two things at once. You're multitasking. You're not really paying attention to either one. Family time, dinner as a family has been shown over the years to be so beneficial, not only for bonding with your child, but for mental health, for eating and having a proper relationship with food, all of it. So I agree. So much of it is just about the atmosphere in which you're in and the ambiance from which you're setting, right? And who who doesn't know that, right? Think back to your time. Everyone loves their mom's cooking. Everyone right. loves mom's cooking. Why? Because she made you feel good. Like you said, it's associated with love. Mm-hmm. And and the the best times, I think, when you think back now, you know, you remember baking with your with your grandma or with your mom. You know, making family recipes. You know, we tend to do that a couple times a year. You know, Thanksgiving and Christmas. And I think if we incorporate um, that with mealtime, you know, they could be as simple as, you know, uh, for a four or five year old, you know, uh, setting the table, you know, making it look nice, making uh, dinner time an experience, you know, shutting off, like you said, the TVs and the cell phones and, and, and and making it, uh, you know, a time for family time. Cause I think a lot of kids really do crave 
just that attention, you know? And if you, if you make it a part of this with mealtime, then I think they have that association, you know, yeah. uh, lifelong. And so making those, you know, having them separate ingredients or, you know, picking herbs from the garden and bringing it, you know, and, in, and, and, um, uh, you know, sifting and stirring and doing all that, like baking. I think that was the, the, the reason I loved it so much was because you did that with your moms and your grandmas, you know? So that's such a great point. Yeah. So that's, I kind of want to get a little personal with you here. <laughs> Uh-oh. So, now, I, like, now that you started talking about your baking, because this is for the audience, you are like the best baker ever. And uh, yeah, it started in residency, not good for my waistline. But um, since you, you know, grew up with your culture, right? Your mom's a vegetarian, your dad, not so much, right? Your dad was not? Right. My dad was not. And I kind of grew up both eating a lot of vegetarian foods and then um, later in life, you know, eating a variety of different things. Do you remember what your mom, because you're not a picky eater at all. And I mean, you like foods of all different cultures and, you know, obviously, you know, Indian food is is so flavorful. Um, What was her, do you remember when you were a kid, like how she served food or how she talked to you about food? Yeah, I do remember being an active participant in the kitchen. So, you know, we make those, uh, we call them rotis. They're kind of like tortillas, you know, yeah. Indian tortillas, but we call them rotis. So, you I'm know, sorry, why um, haven't I tasted this before? <laughs> Where's my roti, Anna? It's kind of like naan, you know, you, you love naan, right? Mm-hmm. The, the mm-hmm. Indian bread. This is just like a type of Indian bread. No, I'm just saying, why haven't you made me one before? <laughs> I will. I promise. But you know, in Indian rotis, usually you um, you know roll them out, and so it's always kind of a fun activity that you do to try to make them round as round. And you know, initially when you make them, they're all kinds of different funny shapes. They look like continents and countries. You know, when you're learning to do it. So I remember that being one of my early memories is watching my mom make those, and and, and then helping her. You know, roll them out. Um, I think also the the advantage of a lot of the Eastern um, foods is there are a lot of spices, you know, and so a lot of herbs and spices. And I think that um, adds a lot of flavor um, to foods. And so um, I remember that being incorporated in, in all, I mean, there were just veggies, you know, there were veggies, but they um, were completely spiced up, you know, yeah. and it wasn't, um, you know, too spicy or hot, but it was just natural herbs. I think that was uh, really what made me enjoy all kinds of vegetables. I remember for the majority of my childhood, I was eating veggies. Um, and so, yeah, I think I, I just remember being a part of the process um, and spending that time with my mom and grandmas. Um, and so I think that was the best part. What about you? Did you do any kind of fun little well, so before I answer the question of what, you know, how my mom did it in the kitchen and all that, you um, talking about rolling, the, <laughs> it just brought back all these memories that I have to tell the audience about. But basically in the quarantine, Anna and I decided that we were going to take, I don't even know how this happened, but we decided that we were going to take a cooking class together with her friend and then uh, my kids. And so what we did was we enrolled, we were doing it through Zoom, right? So you were at your house, I was at mine because we were all quarantining and isolating. And we enrolled in this cooking class uh, run by a couple of Italian ladies, like in Italy. 
Yeah. Which is just so awesome, right? And the menu was gnocchi from scratch, right? Am I remembering this correctly? Yes, yes. <laughs> so, it, was, it was so fun. I still remember. <laughs> it was such a great experience. Yeah. We did it on Zoom, and I totally messed it up. Totally. <laughs> so they, you know, in Italy, they're just amazing the way that they're, like, I'm just not that great of a cook. You know, they're just amazing, but they just can eyeball everything. And um, I guess it was not precise enough for me. So somewhere in between the add a little more water, no, a little more now, a little bit more, and the potato and the flour and God knows what, everyone on the Zoom session, so there was what, like 20 people on the Zoom session from different parts of America, right? You guys all had finished your gnocchi and I was still in the infant stage. I think we all got stuck in different portions, you know, we were like, why is Nars not looking like Nona? And Nona was the the elderly, the grandmother, the Italian grandmother that was teaching us and then sometimes scolding us when we weren't doing it. (laughs) 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 But I totally remember the girls helping you in the background. Oh my gosh. We were having so much fun, but we were, I have not, I was sweating, like, and I was like feeling so much pressure. And I finally, at one point, I was like, just keep going. Go on without me. It's going to be fine. It's okay. I will eat something else for dinner tonight. And she would not go on. And so you guys, all you and all these poor strangers were waiting for me to get my gnocchi, like actually made into pasta. And finally, my, my husband, who was working, he was doing notes, just took pity on me. He's like, oh man. And he's like, let me come help you. Cause you really needed some like to make gnocchi with potatoes. Like you need some hard. It took muscle. a long time. I know. Yeah. Was, like, so intense. Three minutes later, ta-da, here was my pasta. It was delicious. It was also very rewarding to, you know, to like go through that whole process and then make everything from scratch. I thought it was really fun. It was so good. I still don't understand how Italians do it. They're like one potato, flour, and a tomato. And we've got this magical meal. It was really good. Oh yeah. And olive oil, of course. Yeah. Another one of my favorite memories of us together was our pizza making before pre pre COVID. That was those were the, the good times, but, but I think the, the kids like had fun with that too, like making the toppings and making it all from scratch and making the, the pasta sauce. And yeah. I think that was one of my favorite memories too. And then making the pizzas. Um, but yeah, wait, you're yeah. supposed to tell me about your favorite childhood eating. So, memory. uh, I, I, my mom is an amazing cook and, uh, we're of Iranian descent, but there's nothing this lady can't do. Um, she's just kind of, she's kind of, strange in the sense that she'll see something uh like you know we'll go to a restaurant for example and I'm like oh this is the best blah 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 I've ever had in my life she's like what this this is so easy it's just a little bit of this a splash of that a little bit of this I'll make it for you tomorrow and there's no recipe and she does and she nails it it's probably better than the restaurant so she like gets food you know so she can understands how the flavors work and everything but I I learned a lot from my mom for sure on how to feed my own children. Uh, there's so far everything you and I have talked about on the podcast has been more like our experience as pediatricians and what, you know, we've noticed over the years in, in um, you know, seeing picky eaters and of course in reading and in training and everything, but my own personal experience and how I, you know, fed my children was based on how my mom fed me, which was what I was kind of talking about that blase, 
try it out. What's the worst that can happen? It's so good for you. You'll love it. You'll love it. Like it was always, there was never any questions. Like, you'll love it. You'll love it. You love everything. You love it. Just have it. You know, maybe that's a big fat Greek wedding type of thing. I don't know. Are you not hungry? That's okay. I feed you, you know, <laughs> so maybe that's what it was. It is messaging. Don't worry. You'll love it. Just eat it. Right. Yeah. And like she, it was almost like I wasn't allowed to not like something. You know what I mean? If I like, there's, there's maybe one thing I'm not really into scallops, but she will, she won't admit it. You know, she'll, if we go, she's like, she loves everything, everything, every, you know, don't, yeah, she'll eat anything. It's okay. And then if someone puts a scallop on my plate, she's like, you still love it. Try it. You didn't try it. You didn't try this one. This one's different. This you know? Yeah. yeah. But does your mom do this too, where you ask her for a recipe and she's like, you know, just put a little bit of this and about this much of that. No, no, you're doing it wrong. You need to add a little. Totally. <laughs> totally. She, the first time she told me to make rice, she was like, you put enough water until it reaches the first line. And you're like, what? <laughs> like, a quarter of an inch? Is that not a thing? <laughs> Do I actually have to dip my finger and see it come up to the first line? Oh my God, if she's listening, I'm so dead. <laughs> <laughs> no, but this is why you're such an amazing cook and, you know, your kids love everything you, you give them. It's all well, because thanks. Of but, you know, I think everyone always feels like they can't compare to their mom, right? You probably feel the same. Totally. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I don't really know how they did it. Like, you know, they were moving countries and just, you know, making all these gourmet meals. And anytime we went out anywhere, you know, they, their response is, well, I can make that at home. You know, yeah. <laughs> of course I can. So yeah, sorry. We sidetracked with yeah, our very much <laughs> in a good way, in a very good way. <laughs> exactly. But so I think that's Go ahead. I did want to ask you one other thing too, because there was a question I just realized that we get asked often, uh, vitamins. Yes. So typically I think, um, I usually tell them that, you know, vitamins can't duplicate, can't replicate kind of the, the, the nutrients, you know, you can take a carrot is uh, a carrot or celery or whatever is grown, you know, in nature, there's no way that we can actually duplicate the natural ingredients, you know? So I usually tend to have them focus on the variety of foods and exposing kids to those foods. I think if they really are not getting enough nutrition, then I, you know, vitamins are fine. I'm not, um, you know, uh, uh, bent upon everybody having a certain amount of vitamins in a day. Of course, vitamin D is very important um, in, in the beginning. Um, so we recommend those for breastfed babies, right? Um, babies that tend to get iron deficient because of their increased milk uh, intake um, sometimes need to supplement for that. So there are certain nutritional deficiencies that we do need to supplement for. But in general, um, I think the emphasis should be on eating a variety of different types of food. Um, because, you know, uh, I, I don't know if you if you add anything else, but really the focus is now so much on our gut biome as a lot of uh, physicians are, are researching and a lot of things that we're finding out about probiotics and we have, you know, all of these good bacteria, good colonies in our gut. And um, they're the ones that really you know, eat up all these, these nutrients and help us with our immune system. Dictate your health. Yes, exactly. And you have, I think more number of 
gut colonies. Um, then we do the number uh, of cells in our body or something crazy like that. You know, it's such a vast, complicated um, uh, ecosystem in there. And so uh, I think variety is what we're lacking, you know, nowadays because we're moving more towards the processed foods. And, and, uh, and so I, you know, sorry, that was a long <laughs> drawn out answer for vitamins, but I really think. Well, it's just that- yes or no, Anna. <laughs> Sorry. Vitamins, yes or no? You get for me, okay? <laughs> okay. I don't know if you I don't know if you agree, but that's usually my take. No, I do. Well, I was just actually mulling while you were talking so eloquently. Um <laughs> that you know, I used to be very uh in line with what the AP said, which was if a child is having a well-balanced diet with no categories missing in their diet. Right. For example, they're not a vegetarian or they're not, you know, they're not having no dairy. It's a double negative. Um, then there was no need for vitamins. If they're having every food group, then there's no need. But I got to say, during the pandemic, I kind of changed the game. Once the study started coming out about the vitamin D deficiency and a poorer COVID outcome, I was like, you know what? It won't hurt. You know, just go just get a Flintstones chewable. It's fine. You know, go ahead. So I, my relationship with vitamins for children has changed a little bit. I've been a little bit more open about it, um, specifically for the vitamin D part. But I love what you said about the, the you can't replicate nature because that that is really so true and poignant that that that's what the whole por- the moral of the story is right. And as I've gotten older, I mean, you got to understand, I was raised in the '80s, right? So like Twinkies and chips and all that. But as I've gotten older, um, processed foods, I just I can't stand it. You know, I'm I'm really into like. If I want a French fry, I'd rather just make it myself because I don't really know that the French fry that's coming from that place is just a potato. Um, So I've gotten really um, anti-processed foods. And I love, you know, what you said about the variety. What we say often is uh, eat the rainbow. So try to eat every color uh, if you can and try to expose your children to every color if possible because they all are chock full of different types of nutrients. And then also as I've gotten older, and maybe this is 40, hashtag this is 40, but the the whole relationship with food of like really appreciating the meal in front of you and really being mindful when you're eating it and, and really tasting the flavors, that's changed for me as well. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we do with our kids, and I know you also asked me a yes or no question and I've been talking for a while, but one of the things that the girls and I do is about once a month, we have a vegetable night. All we do is eat vegetables, so there's no meat or carbs or anything. Um, and they get to they get to run vegetable night. So we go to the grocery store, they pick out the vegetables they want, that we can make them however which way they want, and the, the table has only got vegetables on it. And that's our dinner. And they like it. They really, they look forward to vegetable night. Uh, and, and I told them why we're doing it. It wasn't like, hey, you know what's fun? It was just truly, we need to eat more vegetables, all of us. We could always you know, stand to eat more vegetables. And I've really wanted you guys to try the different vegetables. You've probably only tried 25% of the grocery store. I want you guys to try all of it because they all have different nutrients. So let's make it fun. I love that. I love that idea because 
there's like now creativity that you've incorporated, you know, you've incorporated family time, you've incorporated creativity with making a dish that you've never tried before, um, transform, transforming a vegetable that maybe you didn't like into something, you know, delicious and gourmet. So I think that's, that's so um, profound. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, but, thank you. <laughs> but I did want to go back um, to the, just really quickly about the vitamins, because I, I'm the same way, you know, I'm like, let's load up right now. <laughs> the pandemic, let's get our vitamin D, our vitamin C, like it's not going to hurt. But I think in general, I want parents to not use it as a replacement, which exactly. I think a lot of people use vitamins as a replacement. It's okay if he eats mac and cheese all day or if he eats burgers or, or you know, not burgers, but if he only eats, you know, French fries all day, we're doing a vitamin, you know? Exactly. And so I think the biggest messaging needs to be, well, you cannot duplicate, you know, nature and you can't, um, and you can't just supplement that, you know, um, definitely though, I think the biggest disclaimer is talk to your pediatrician, you know, figure out the, um, deficiencies that you might have and replace those accordingly and safely. Um, but yeah, I think that's the biggest caveat. A lot of people use it as a crutch almost, and, and I just don't want them to, um, so I do, I usually do a long winded, <laughs> you know, during my visit, I go off really? and on. <laughs> You? This is why I run behind sometimes, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? We are slowly starting to run out of time. This podcast is getting a little off the long side, but there's a couple of things I really wanted to touch on. Try yes. to keep it under two minutes if possible. Pediasure yes. and toddler formula, go. Um, I avoid, <laughs> avoid it. Avoid it. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> a lot of, did you like that? Yeah. A lot of calories. Usually they don't need it. Um, usually I think it's contributing to higher calories, more obesity, um, in the long run. Um, so yes, avoid. same, totally agree. Only do, well, I really don't have any times where I recommend toddler formula unless they're really, really special needs kid. Like, you know, I've got a couple of heart transplant kiddos who need that, you know, but, uh, toddler formulas, I really don't recommend doing it at one years old transition off formula and onto real food. Otherwise you're just going to perpetuate your picky eater. They actually make the problem worse because that's even more filling. Right. And same thing with Pediasure. I only recommend doing Pediasure under the guidance of your pediatrician. Um, uh, hopefully, you know, I'm not going to get like struck down by lightning. Um, so I don't like, you know, saying things in absolutes, but um, that's, I agree. Uh, neither of those, I don't feel like they really have a place in the standard North American mm -hmm. diet. Right. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, what else did we, is there something else that we forgot? I think, you know, we, we wanted to talk about growth charts. We kind of touched on that. Um, we touched on our tips and everything that we wanted to say. So I, I can't really think of anything else other than just letting parents know about the pyramid. Yes. Yeah. So going back to the PD Pals pyramid, um, we, let's say we recap. So we want, we have our mind, our body and our environment, right? So this episode, I think with picky eating, um, falls into the body, which is the, the nutrition, you know, um, I think it actually hits all three because environment in terms of the foods that, that we have access to and what we choose, um, you know, that does influence our body. And then also the, um, the relationship with foods and, and, and how we look at it, you know, that's a big part of the mind and, and, uh, not tying our foods to, our emotions as much, you know? So, um, I think this, this type of, um, 
concept kind of covers all three. I don't know if you agree. I do. Diet is so important. And we'll, this is not the only episode where we're going to be touching on diet. This is just one of a million. This this one was meant to be centered more around toddlers and the picky eating phase, which like I said, most of the time is actually not a picky eating phase. They just don't need to eat as much as they used to. So don't panic. But yeah, it's so important because, you know, we're starting to uncover this whole new field of medicine, this epigenetics, right? That we can turn our genes on and off based on our environment or what we do or our mental health. And so what you're feeding yourself is what will, you know, decide what your future health is like. So these are the building blocks of raising a child, having a good, healthy, balanced diet. If you can do it, try. But of course, I say that with compassion. I don't want parents to feel stressed out because they have so much on their plate. So I don't want them to feel guilty if they had to get fast food. Sometimes that's the only option. I don't want them to feel guilty if they couldn't make something from scratch because they have three young kids and they have curdled milk in their hair and spit up on their shirt and who has time to make a meal. So just do what you can. But if and when you have that time, if you have the help, uh, you know, this is kind of, these are some guidelines we want you to remember. Uh, in terms of how to get your children to have a good relationship with food. And we totally get it that the the current society, the way it's set up, you know, a lot of families are working multiple jobs and they're trying to just make it work, like you said. And and this is not in any ways meant to be like you have to do all these things. You know, I would just say start with one small thing, cut out yeah. juices, you know. Yeah, um, that's not to- adding, that's taking away. I love it, yeah. Exactly. You know, it's not, it's taking something away. It saves money. Um, they don't need it, you know, taking away pediatrician and talk and, you know, toddler formula unless, you know, recommended by your pediatrician. So I think the point is everyone's struggling. Everyone's trying to do the best they can, but just start small. And it's just about shifting. I think the way we look at it and the way we think about it. Um, I think, uh, just a small change can go, can go far. Exactly. And again, you're, you're building that microbiome, you're building the building blocks of your child's future health. So I know everyone takes it really seriously. Like you said, people are so, uh, you know, obviously, they have so many questions about picky eating and whatnot. So they take it seriously. And like you said, um, people get really worked up if their children are eating well. So all that's really important. But you know, do the best you can no pressure, and hopefully uh, people learn something today. Exactly. I think that is great. Our listeners can reach us on our website, www.thepdpals.com, and in the contact section, there is a place where they can contact us and send us questions and messages. So if they have any burning questions, we will um, get back to you all. Yeah, and, and we'll do some of those Instagram things. Uh, I'm not the best social media savvy kind of person, but the one where you go on Instagram and you ask us anything and then we answer the question. Yeah, so we'll, we'll do some of that stuff too as soon as I figure out how it works. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much. Thank you all for listening. and um, Stay tuned because we have an even better episode next time. Yes. Bye-bye. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any other agency, hospital, organization, employer, or company. Assumptions made in the analysis are not reflective of the position of any entity other than the participants.
The participants are critically thinking human beings. Therefore, these views are always subject to change, revision, reconsideration, and recalculation at any time. This podcast collaboration makes no warranties or representations as to accuracy, completeness, correctness, suitability, or validity of any information, communication, exchange, and the participants will not be liable for any errors, omissions, or delays in this information, or any losses, injuries, or damages arising from its broadcast dissemination or use. All information is provided on an as-is basis. It is the communication recipient's responsibility to verify any facts.